Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners, and welcome to part two of our Fast and Furious Summer. Do you get it? Part two of our two fast two. and two furious anyway there's uh, too many twos in this right here never too many twos patrick but we are here to talk through one of hollywood's defining action series i'm one of your co-hosts aaron and with me is the man who always has my back even when i get into trouble with the ladies my best friend and co-host patch hello everyone now patrick as we roll into this episode we can acknowledge up front that this is one of the more disliked entries in the franchise across the fandom, and you yourself have long been of the opinion that it's at the very bottom of your FNF list. So, as we jump right into our one-word takeaways, just know that I am absolutely dying to hear if this viewing has changed that perception at all, or if it has solidified this movie as the one that you would rather just forget. Take it away, bruh. Bruh. That's too funny. <laughs> just just get in character. You're not Roman. Let's just get that out of the way right now. <laughs> Be right back. I'm going to grab a sandwich. I'm hungry. Hungry. <laughs> well, I will say this. It jumped up quite a bit this time around. And it may be it's the feel and film heart that I have developed over the course of the last several years. But it's still at the bottom. <laughs> I've taken it for what it is, and that's a cash grab, a subpar sequel. You and I were talking offline about how this and the Mission Impossible franchise have similar characteristics and that they have a really strong opening entry. And their sequel takes elements of the first and tries to double down on them. And I think what Too Fast, Too Furious does is does just that it doubles down on the things that made the first one great but i think because of where it sits in terms of the overarching anthology that is the fast and the furious it feels really distant we get an introduction of new characters that end up becoming regulars in the subsequent films but at the same time it's enjoyable but forgettable it's one of those movies that i can think of maybe one or two moments because they're funny that stand out to me and that kind of stick with me. But for the most part, this is not highly quotable. It's not one that I think about when I think of recommending one of these movies to a new viewer. And our one word takeaway is going to be family, as always, as it will be through all these movies. But if I had to pick a different one, I would just say embellished. That's cheater. all I'm going to say. Cheater. I, <laughs> such a cheater. I'm a rule bender. I'm a vendor of rules. Yeah, you know? I don't know about all that. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I always prepare my one-word takeaway section. So, inside baseball, I think about it beforehand. I kind of know what I'm going to say. You know, we have our notes for the podcast, of course. I forgot because I was like, I'll come back to that, and I, I don't ever do that. And so now I'm stuck here, like trying to do this on the fly, and unfortunately. I can't find a really great argument for family <laughs> that goes, you know, above and beyond what I would say in the podcast when we kind of get to the section on characters. Look, 
I still think that family is the through line here, even with a new director, John Singleton, taking the reins of the franchise for this entry. I think that everything that happens at at its heart is about the relationships of these characters and the situations that they get put in are entertaining to us because of the relationships of the characters that are going through the situation. That's what matters to us. And I think it's a little different than something like a mission impossible, which you brought up and, and obviously not in this context, but where we have a team that assists Ethan hunt, right? But it's really Ethan's show. And we are there to see what's going to happen to Ethan for the most part. Fast and Furious is different. It's not just what's going to happen to Brian. Brian and Roman are equals in this film. Brian and Dom are equals in the first movie. You know what I mean? And so I really appreciate that about this series. And I appreciate that 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 was brought over in this entry. And that stood out to me. Yeah, it it banks on the group environment, the ensemble cast. And that's not ignored by any means. It's definitely used here. It just seems like it's not as strong. It feels a little bit more separate. You have partners as opposed to a team where in the first film, everyone felt like they were a part of what was going on. And in this one, there were times where it felt like we were pulling Tej in at one point and maybe Monica was coming in for her part. Suki was coming in for her part. And I think when they were there doing their part, it was great, but it didn't feel like there was a connection apart from Brian and Rome. Like, I think they were the solidifying piece of the movie, which is great because them along with Tej, of course, carry over into subsequent films. And I think that was actually a smart move by the creators to take the strongest characters from this and continue their storyline. What I love about this is the fact that you get consistency in their characters. Nothing about Roman changes, spoiler alert, as we get into the later films. He's still who he is here. We just get this introduction to this bombastic, crazy person that's on house arrest in a trailer who's living his life one dirt pile at a time as opposed to a quarter mile at a time doing this crazy crash racing that he's doing. And I think when you have a movie like this, I want to immediately dismiss it because it doesn't add any depth to the overall franchise, but it gives us characters that end up becoming important later on. And so I can appreciate it for that. Yeah. And the other part of the family, one more takeaway that I just want to point out is diversity. We didn't really mention this in our first episode, but this series is very special because of its diversity. And it happened at a time in history before diversity was a buzzword and before films were looking to create diversity in order to satisfy what their audiences were telling them they wanted. It was a natural choice for this franchise. And Patrick, I went back after we recorded our episode on Fast and Furious 1, and right afterwards, I watched Point Break. Because we, you know, had the conversation, of course, about which ones, you know, how Fast and Furious kind of copies Point Break in so many ways. I have turned the corner. And like, I think I have like one like on my Letterboxd review for this movie because this is what I said. And so I'm not surprised. But I I literally like Fast and the Furious more than Point Break people at this point. I just do. And diversity is one of the reasons because it's different. And it for me, it reflects the world that I that I see. And not the street racing world. I'm not in that. But, you know, 
we have Tej and we have Devin Aoki's character in this movie who plays Suki, who, oh my, ooh, ooh, la, la, I have always had a crush on Devin Aoki. So I forgot she was in this man, but when she showed up, I was just like, yes, I forgot. Praise God. I'm, I'm so happy you're here. Uh, but we just have everybody in here. You know what I mean? Like even the crew, Jimmy at the garage, um, it's Asian. And so it, there's this mix and, and no one talks about it. That's the thing. Like it's so ingrained in the DNA of this series. It's not, oh, hey, we got this Asian guy at our garage helping us out. Like everybody is just naturally friends. Everybody gets along. It feels right. Um, it feels like the world we all want to be living in right now. And maybe that's part of this is because we're living in a world right now that's got race issues. And here we see a group of people that don't have that amongst themselves. And it's well, refreshing. And they've got this common ground that exists in not only racing, which is at the heart of at least the, the first. See the pun there. Racing. Racing. Yeah. Sorry. That's bad. <laughs> but I, I unintended, had to. Unintended pun for me. And you have that common ground that they have all fallen in love with and they've all learned to respect the participants in that. One thing I dig about the races in all of these movies when they happen, when we see them happen, is that you'll have people who are actually participating and you'll have people with amazing cars that are spectating. And it's all part of this racing world. And at the end of the day, that's what it really comes down to for these guys is it's all about the race. It's all about the culture of street racing that they've fallen in love with and they found common ground with. I haven't seen anything specifically besides maybe in the first one with Johnny Tran as having a rival race team. It's always been just either every man for himself, but there's an appreciation of everybody that participates. Like when Brian loses the race, yeah, he gets humiliated, but he is still kind of ingratiated into that because he participated. So I think that having a common ground like that speaks volumes about not to get into a, a race issue, but when you can find something that you connect with somebody on and appreciate them and appreciate the worldview and connect with that worldview, whether it's video games or racing or movies or whatever, that's what I think the Fast and the Furious is great at, is it tells us this is what these people care about. And because of that, they're able to care about each other because they have that way in. Yeah, absolutely agree. Well, we are going to get into the main part of the review now. Um, that was fun. That was weird. We don't usually do that, but that was cool. And this is our spoiler alert, something we forgot in episode one. So if you listen to the first one, eh, sorry. My bad, bad, my bad. Sorry. Actually, yeah, you're right. You're bad because you were leading. Uh, but <laughs> I'm not going to forget because I'm a good host. And a this rule your... follower. <laughs> and a rule follower. <laughs> this is your spoiler warning for Fast and Furious 2 or Too Fast and Too Furious. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to tell you what happened in the movie. You know what spoiler warning is. Let's get going. Patrick, I'll be honest right here, and I'll tell you, I don't really think that this entry has a ton of depth to be mined from it. It is what it is. And we're not going to force that where it doesn't exist. Sometimes, while this show is all usually about digging into themes and deep emotions, one of those emotions can just be pure and utter enjoyment of something. And that's what you and I have for this series. And that's probably what's going to come out in the vast majority of these episodes. Because <laughs> it's an action series. Absolutely. So with that said, I want to start with this question. As a sequel, generally speaking, because don't go into too many specifics here, so we have something to talk about later, but... 
what worked for you and what didn't? I appreciated the fact that it was very self-aware. It's a movie that doubled down on, again, what worked from the first entry. I absolutely love the race sequences. I loved seeing Brian interact with Roman, seeing how they have that comfort level that we didn't know about. And it's difficult to introduce a new character that could become a farce if you don't have some kind of connection with them. And I love the way that we have that relationship come about. The opening to this is just as fantastic as the opening to the first film, the first race, I mean, where you have almost this polar opposite appreciation for Brian. In the first one, he's this newcomer. He's going to try to take on the man, Dom, and he feels he's arrogant and he feels like he can do it by saying, you know, you're going to win and then saying, I'm going to win. It's the same thing here, but he has nothing that he has to say. He gets a phone call by Tej and saying, hey, yeah, I'm coming out. I'll be there in five, five minutes. This guy probably lives 10 minutes away. And so that tells you, based on the car that he's driving and the experience, without necessarily needing that kind of backstory, he's been doing this for a while. He's obviously not a cop anymore. He's on the run. We've been left with him leaving Dom to take his 10-second car. And we get caught up with him, and we get all this information from how he races, from the look of his car. It's obviously not American-made because he's sitting on the opposite side driving. We see people look at him, and they know who he is. He has a nickname. I think it's – I forget what it's called. Like, not Turbo, but it's called Bullet. He's referred to by Suki as Bullet. So there's history there. And then we get introduced to Roman the same way, just a little bit of exposition, and then we get that fantastic sequence where Roman is – basically in a junkyard trying to tear up other cars and getting crashed into. And then they get into this like schoolyard fight where they're just rolling around in dirt, beating each other up. So for me, I think what really worked for me was seeing the introduction of his relationship with Roman, because that was going to carry the film. I think for the most part, if this was about people, about relationships, his relationship with Roman and that connection with, Tej and the rest of that crew, I think really was solid this time around. Knowing that we're going to see them later, watching how it all started. I know when you and I watched this last year when I was in Seattle, we skipped this entry. For I was going to say, we didn't watch this. And the way you started that, we, I was like, we didn't. <laughs> yeah, we skipped this. And I think, and part of it was because I knew that this was not one that was going to work for me. I actually watched it maybe six months prior and said, man, this is not good. I actually have a better appreciation for it because of the fact that when we see the whole franchise wrapped up like it is, it's a weak entry for sure. But it's got these things that are so great that they echo throughout the rest of the films. His, his relationship with Roman isn't as impactful in the subsequent films, but Roman is still arrogant. He's still this cocky guy who thinks he's awesome and is getting schooled by everybody because that's just his character. But it doesn't phase him. So seeing these types of things happen early on, it's a great entry to seeing these, what I would call secondary characters, but I would call additional parts of this family. Yeah, I think that 
it works really well. And I'm glad you pointed out the opening because that's something I would have mentioned as well. And I agree with you 100%. Like It is an awesome opening, and it starts where it should, with street racing. That's the beginning of this film. Like It's the section that we get sort of, I don't know, a third of the way through the first Fast and Furious with Brian and Dom when they first race, but we get it right off the bat, and it's awesome here. It's set up with them taking the roads down, and we get to learn so much about Tej in that opening section of just like how he kind of runs the show and how there's so much, you mentioned this, so much mutual respect amongst all of the drivers and the people who race. I love seeing that and the way that these these people are putting like $3,500 on the line or more every time they race. This is a lot of cash, but there's never really any fear that someone's going to like shoot you if they lose and take their money and run. It's a, it's a mutual respect kind of thing. And Tej talks about, you know, I got something for them. And so you get this awesome sequence with the bridge jump and you get to watch these two dueling ways of looking at racing wait because you have this one racer that brian is up against at that point who is going oh crap like as he's going across like he's scared to death and brian is like gleeful he's like yeah buddy let's go like he's screaming in excitement as he's jumping this bridge and i think it again whether we want to give credit to this movie or just give credit to future movies for picking up on that and following through like that character development it's laying foundational pieces. And I think this movie did a great job of continuing to do that. And, and the other part of that is Roman, like you said specifically, but Roman and Tej, like right off the bat, we learn Tej has got some electronic, like, and some inventiveness about him, right? Which is going to play on throughout the series. And we get Roman, like you mentioned, and he is Roman. The rest of the movie, that was, we were talking about it. We were texting each other back and forth about how much Roman is just Roman. Like he's always hungry. He's eaten everybody's food the rest of the series. He is snarky from the second that you meet him until the end of the last film, right? Like that we have so far. He never, ever changes. And I love that about this. And like, we already talked about the diversity, so I won't go back into it, but that was just Another thing, um, one, I guess, last part that I'll say that I thought was cool is I like that we begin to start to show us some tech here, and it's on a minor level, but the guns that the customs agents and the police or whoever it is, is are using to take the cars down, these uh, they they zap into the car essentially and shut it down via electronics so that the computer computer in the car no longer works. I thought that was fun and brilliant. And I was like, that's great. And it's again, another step in the road of the Fast and the Furious franchise starting to get a little more techie and a little more crazy. And I, I like that quite a bit. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't really have many faults to be honest. I thought it was really fun. We'll talk about my faults maybe a little long later on. There are a couple of things that I didn't like as much, but there's nothing I hated. I had a blast with it. And for someone who I just remember, I never remembered it as not liking it, but I remembered it through the lens of I've, I haven't rewatched it in a decade. And everybody continuously tells me how bad it is. And I was like, well, maybe they're all right. And I came out of this thinking, you guys are all ridiculous. This is a lot like the first one. And it's super fun and whatever. Get over yourselves. So 
that's where I stand. With Brian now being located in Miami by way of an excellent YouTube short film that we both watched off, by the way, uh, listeners, if you have not <laughs> had her shaking his head, cause I use the word excellent, but if you're not familiar, there is a short film fan made on YouTube. It's called too fast, too furious, the prelude or something like that. You can Google it, look it up. It's, um, a, it's like a really short little movie that was put together with footage of Brian or I guess footage of Paul Walker that was kind of used. And, you know, I liked it a lot. It's not the highest quality thing. It's got some actors and actresses you may recognize as well doing some little cameos in there. I don't know if they did them for this film or if they just took footage from other places of those actors as well and used it. But it basically tells the story of what happens from the moment that Brian walks away after giving Dom his keys all the way up until the point where he is now located in Miami in the race culture there. And I thought it was a lot of fun. I would have actually loved an entire movie that showed me that part of Brian's life. So I recommend just checking it out. It's not that bad. It's not that great. <clears throat> we get to the end and Brian is in Miami. And now we have this new opportunity in front of us for a new locale. We have a whole new crew and relationships that can be built. Patrick. So let's discuss some of those and let's start with the biggie, the primary Brian and Roman, the chemistry between the two of them carries this as we've said, and it's awesome. I had so much fun with it. I had a grin on my face every single time these two are talking to each other, the banter between them, the effortlessness that we see in characters from the first film who we talked about, the actors rather in the first film, feeling like they just slipped into these roles, like they're actually those people, felt very much the same for me here. Like it's just so simple for them to be these people. And I think that that makes acting it out in a consistent manner easier because it's not, you're not having to really act, <laughs> you know, you're just having fun on the set. It almost feels like, and I liked how the pieces of Brian and Roman's history is given to us throughout time. That opening fight between the two of them is awesome. It's <laughs> really great. And we actually get a couple of super fun moments from Agent Bilkins returning from the first film. One of them is that part where he's with Brian, taking him to go get Roman. And he just is like, Brian says, just, just let it go. Right. Whatever happens, just let it go. And he just watches them. Like he watches Roman attack Brian and they start fighting on the ground. And he just sits down, starts eating popcorn. And then he says something about like, when, when you ladies are ready, you know, like, let, can we get going? He has another awesome line, by the way, tangential, but, uh, or moment, sorry when the break is happening at the end of the film and they come out of the warehouse and he's like, where's the helicopters? And he puts it together in his head. What has happened that they've given them the cops, the slip and this grin comes over his face where you get like an idea of like, okay, there's a respect now that he has for the inventiveness of Brian and his crew and their ability to do what they've done. And I, I really like that anyway. Back to Brian and Roman, they get in this fight, it carries out th on throughout, and I love it. And if I was going to have a connecting point, Patrick, it would have been the moment that we get that slowdown before the big heist, I, a heist, I guess, it's not, really, it's not really a heist, but like the run with the money, where Brian is apologizing to Roman 
for him getting caught. Because up until now, it's like this dangled piece of information that we don't know. We just know that Roman is pissed because something happened and he blames Brian for going to jail for three years. And this is where we find out, like, he got caught, Brian couldn't do anything about it, and Brian left. And then Roman was on his own. And he Brian admits that that's part of why he let Dom go. And I felt like that was really consistent storytelling, and it made perfect sense to me to help explain Brian's motivations of why he would act the way he does when he gets into this relationship with Dom, who is another quote-unquote criminal. Um, I guess there's no quotes necessary. He's a criminal, but there's a relationship there that is blurring those lines. And then I love that Roman comes back, and we don't get these moments from Roman very much throughout the series. They're so far and few between, and maybe that's why it stood stood out to me, where he admits, he's like, no, man, you know, I got in trouble because I was riding solo. And then they both agree, not anymore, not anymore. And that, again, consistency, maybe that should have been the one more takeaway from this franchise, but that follows through the rest of the way as well. Like from that point forward, they do ride together, die together. That's how the entire family acts and feels. And so I loved this relationship so much on this rewatch. I thought it was fantastic. And I can't imagine the series without Roman. I got more to say about that later. But what did you think about Brian and Roman? And for you, did it? how did you kind of compare it to Brian and Dom? Well, I think it's definitely a weaker relationship than Brian and Dom's because what we have is an established relationship with Brian and Roman that really kind of gets a resolution by the end of this movie. We're kind of introduced to it pretty quickly through backstory, and we get more pieces of that backstory as the film goes on. And then we get that moment that you talk about where both of them are really kind of asking forgiveness from each other. They're both kind of saying, are we cool? Yeah, we're cool. And then they go do their thing. Where I think it falls a little flat for me is that, for better or for worse, you don't get that, in my opinion, as much from the subsequent movies. Roman, I think, lands on the same level as Tej, which is not bad. But if Roman and... And Brian are going to be the team, then that that kind of gets sidestepped when Dom re-enters the picture. And so for me, I think the Dom Brian relationship is the through line in terms of the pairings. What I like though is the fact that you get a consistent character out of Roman, someone who never goes solo anymore, someone who's selfish, but who realizes that he really can't do what he does on his own. That he needs the rest of this crew. And so what I think the Fast and Furious franchise does as a whole is it allows that idea that he's not going to run solo to exist in a crew environment, in a family environment, as opposed to a partner environment. So we're left at the end of the movie with both of these guys looking like they're going to become the new Crockett and Tubbs, and subsequent movies are going to be based around them, but then we get the third entry, which eventually becomes <laughs> chronologically uh, a later entry, and it kind of gets a little jacked up. So I don't think that's the fault of Too Fast and Too Furious. I think that it's kind of a consequence of the creators and the writers trying to maybe readjust the ship to really lay a foundation that was started in the original one. I don't think it's bad. I just think that it was a little mishandled and it was left to a place where Roman kind of got diminished as a character based on what we saw at the end of Fast and Furious 2. 
So I, I what I'm hearing is I feel like you might be judging this through the lens of what we're looking at through the entire series. Because, Absolutely, and I fully admit that. Okay, so because if you're looking at this movie when it came out as nothing but just a sequel, let's imagine that, sorry, Vin Diesel couldn't get signed, so we couldn't have Vin Diesel in the sequel. I mean, this happens all the time in Hollywood, right? Like Then as a follow-on, if there were no more Fast and the Furious movies, do you think it would fit better? I, it's hard to say because because you have a sequel, now you have a comparison from its previous entry. So what I would expect is, sure, that's fine. But what I wouldn't expect then is for Brian and Roman to continue their adventures. I would expect Brian to go to Dallas or to Houston or to And to Chicago. continually have a new partner. Have a new partner, yeah. Gotcha. Which would be fine. Absolutely fine. But again... I biasly look at it through the lens of the entire franchise. And so I don't think that Roman got his fair shake because of the way in which we were left. That last moment in the movie felt like, okay, if we're going to have new adventures, you either let Roman go and you're going to have him as kind of like a side character for later adventures along with Dom or whoever. And now you're going to get a new crew in Chicago or a new Mm -hmm. crew in Oregon or whatever. And, and that would be fine with me. I say Oregon. I'm trying to think. Of I'm, I'm like giving yeah, you the New look. York, New York, Las Vegas, you know, places. A lot of street are... racing in Oregon. Got like weaving, Sacramento. <laughs> weaving in and out North, of those trees. Yeah, North Dakota, you know. Watch out for the Redwoods. Watch out, Lincoln, Nebraska. He's coming. As the Too Fast, Too Furious as an entry, I think it worked just fine. And I think that Roman sold me as an equal partner to Brian. And it came down to... I think the filmmakers doing stuff in pairs. They didn't give them one car. They gave them two. And Roman was like, I got the convertible. And then they go zooming down the highway like we do on Mama Boulevard, trying to impress each other or whoever. And then eventually it seems like they're trying to outdo each other. There's that great moment where Brian says, essentially watch this, turns his car around, goes in reverse, and then flips Roman the bird. And Roman's like smiling and like, yeah, whatever. We're getting that equalized relationship. Roman never feels like a subordinate to Brian at all in this movie. And so if that's what the point of their relationship was, it absolutely worked. And if, as a single entry, if all you saw was that one, I think it serves as a really fun, complete movie with these partnerships that are driving that and having a subsequent team around them, helping them out. That's a great word you just used as complete for a single entry, because other than that moment I mentioned with Brian explaining what happened with Dom and the fact that the reason for the trigger of them even using Brian for this, I say mission, but this um, effort to infiltrate um, Carter Verone's cartel, if it were, the only reason is because of Brian's previous actions with the FBI. Uh, other than that, those very minor tie-ins, like this is a completely standalone entry, like you said. Like you could watch it like a mini Miami Vice movie or lengthy episode of a TV series or something, and it would fit just perfectly. So I agree. Other characters, again, we kind of mentioned this, they're not nearly as integral as the first crew in the movie was. 
we just don't have the same level of family being built overall there. They don't go through the same situations. But the series is focused on that diversive cast here again, and they still help each other out in, you know, interesting and unique ways, whether it's Monica, the double agent, Tej, Suki, uh, or Jimmy. Did you like any of these more than the Kelly gang? Did anybody really stick out to you here? And just, uh, I guess, kind of sideways to that, do you think that they at least serve their purpose and fit well for this film? They absolutely serve their purpose. I don't think anyone felt wasted. There were some deviations with the writing that I thought was kind of eye-rolling. But for the most part, I felt like everybody fit in their role. I I think Ludacris is a really fun actor. I've enjoyed a lot of the stuff that I've seen him in. And as Tej, first of all, I want that hair. I think that's just fantastic. Uh, I would never be able to pull it off, but whatever. That's just kind of a pipe dream, and I'm willing to accept that. But Are you talking about the Afro? Yeah. And But I think that Tej's character, Ludacris' character, Tej, has this calm collective persona that almost has no regrets about anything that's happened to him. He makes that comment where he's asked, I don't know if it's by Roman or whoever, but it gets brought up, why don't you race with these guys? And he said, I crashed into a wall or he had some kind of racing accident. He doesn't do it anymore. Now I just handle the money. And that's enough for him because I think he likes being an MC. I think he likes being the guy that's kind of in control of everything and knows how to get a party together. He's the host. We were watching one of the game shows that's on, I think, CBS or NBC. They're doing this thing this summer where they're throwing back all these retro games like Press Your Luck and Family Feud, only with updated cast and crew and stuff like that. And I was telling Krisha, I said, I would love to be a host of one of these shows because of how much fun it is. And I feel like Tej in this movie is doing just that. But along with that, he's got some fantastic leadership skills. Like he knows how to pull things together. He knows how to use resources. He allows Brian to use his garage. He has a crew of people that know exactly what they need to be doing and he can direct traffic. So I think he is a great entry into this crew. I feel like it's a makeshift crew. It's people that have been together but don't really look like a family in terms of kind of their connections with each other. I feel like they're connected by a common thing, which is good, but this is a crew I don't think would necessarily go hang out at a house and watch Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, or play PlayStation. They might. I mean, there's that one moment where they, they're having those lake wars with the, with the jet skis and whatnot, but I feel like it's more like a party crew, like a fraternity, and less like a, hey, we're going to sit down and have a meal together. And that's okay, because what they accomplish as a crew, what they accomplish in that is a, a sense of purpose. They all feel like, you know what, we've got your back, we can support you and Roman, you are doing something that's, I think, very noble, and so we're going to definitely do that. I think they're all, they're all a lot of fun to watch, too. And so that more than anything, I think it's just really fun to see all of them lay out their characters on screen like that. Yeah, I actually sort of disagree. I mean, I don't think that they're quite built up in the same way as the family, but I think that there's a great scene that speaks to the same 
type of family when they're at the garage and they're playing poker or some game and you know suki's like no we can't you know they're tej and jimmy are going back and forth about who's gonna win this and then suki's like no you can't quit now you got to give me a chance to win my money back and i thought like that along with some of the ways that they just handled their business talking to each other was also very family-like like when they went to get the cars together was fun the to race the two guys to get their american muscle cars and it's just like a, kind of like a team effort um, and so I, I don't know i really do i thought it was close uh, and closer than i ever remembered it being that's for sure now when it comes to villains they become exponentially important as the series progresses in the first one it's sort of johnny tran kind of but like he's just there at the end as a more of an antagonist he's not really like a villain throughout the film not in the way that Connor Verone, Carter Verone is, excuse me. And as far as they go, this guy, how does he work for you? Does he come across as a true threat? And I know that it's pretty dif and difficult to like evaluate this against or without evaluating this against future villains that some of which are pretty darn great. So I know that it like in context, he's definitely not on their level. And I know you're going to agree with that, but what did you think of him for this movie? Does he work well enough for you or is he a weak spot? He fits the bill for this type of tone, this type of entry. This feels as a whole, I think compared to the later films, I, I mean, I can't say, I can't compare, I can't not compare these because it's just what it is, but it feels very much like elementary villains versus college or master's degree villains in terms of importance in terms of maturity carter Verone comes across like a mustache twirling villain and that's okay because you need those sometimes if you're going to have characters that really elicit an entertaining and fun type of emotion you really don't want a villain that you're going to care about i didn't care about carter Verone at all emotionally and I think that was by design. I think Cole Hauser plays him really, really well. I think he had a lot of fun playing this character. I also think he developed a really great love of cigars during filming because he just, he does things that feel like a Bond villain. He does things that it's, I almost wanted him to say, no, Brian, I expect you to die at some point because that's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to be this, mob boss that is meant to just be the negative to brian and roman's positive because brian and roman are doing things that are illegal and so the only way or one of the only ways that you can make them feel validated or virtuous in what they're doing is to create a villain that's going to be somewhat over the top he feels like a comic book villain Aaron. and this feels like a comic book movie where you have things that are grounded for sure, but they're a little bit over the top. And again, I think that kind of tone plays into later entries to a thumbs up for me that, you know what, you've accepted the over the topness, so have fun with it. And that's what I did with this. So as a villain, I think Carter Verone plays his part just fine. He's no better or worse than I think any other person could be. But I think his tone and who he was fit really well into this entry. Yeah, I mostly disagree. I think 
He's fine. Maybe I agree. He's fine. I, I really think he's the weak point in this film. If there is one that is yeah, going to, that is going to drop this down a level from other movies. I feel like he's boring. I actually love your comparison there to being a Bond villain, though. I can see that. I think he's got a face that does not evoke fear in me. It's so smooth and it's so pretty. Give and him a just, shot. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, I need a beard. I need some roughness to him. I think there's just something about him. He wasn't quite blingy enough or not rough enough. Like, it, it was like he's in the middle. And he could have been, to me, any dude on Miami Beach on a given night in any club. And yeah. that didn't sell me on his level of status. Now, there are a couple scenes which I find to be really well done and really great. And one of those is the whole leaving the package in his red Ferrari when they get back after receiving that. And there's some great dialogue and battle between him and the way that he opens up to them and the package and showing them that it's a cigar and just his back and forth with Roman and Roman trying to steal his cigar cutter. There's a lot of good stuff and interactions there that I think he did a great job with. And the moment that I really makes him okay enough for me is the torture scene of Detective Whitworth because it is fierce. It's like one of the most fierce things in this entire series, entire franchise, because he puts this rat under a bucket and starts heating it up so that the rat will eat through his belly. It is awful. Like even thinking about that is just terrifying. And I, I like that a lot. <laughs> Not the moment, but, but the way that he is sort of, Using that to serve two purposes, he's he's testing Brian and Roman and Monica all in that moment to see if they're going to react and respond to how he's treating this cop. But he's also trying to get the cop to do what he needs the cop to do. And so I liked that a lot. And I thought that I thought that he was smart. You know, he figures out Monica in the end and he gets the drop on him. And he's like, listen, you know, you slipped up one time in 11 months, but you're the only person I told about this airstrip. And so. I like that. I mean, I, I do think he fit, I guess I'm with you. I think he fit the bill. Uh, I think it could have been stronger, but it would have been hard to make it stronger with the sort of low level stakes that this movie really has. To be honest, it's a very personal type of thing that they're dealing with one drug lord's money. You know, it's but, not a huge bombastic issue. And at the same time, Aaron, it's very common to a lot of your action movies. You have a drug lord who's trying to get his money back and you have this infiltration with a woman who is trying to be seductive and secret and she gets found out. I mean, that storyline has played itself out. And just like we talked about with the first entry, if you can refresh something in a way that feels like it's worth watching, that's one thing. But I... I think where I found deviations is that I kept thinking, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. This is a Bond movie. And if this were a Bond movie, I'd probably still say this is an old Bond movie. <laughs> and so when you look at a character like Carter Byrne, you're right. I almost expected him to have a gruff exterior and maybe a foreign accent because that, to me, would sell more of that over-the-top, bombastic kind of mob boss mentality or that mob boss character trait, what we have is a guy who would probably be the bouncer at a club for the guy that was the bad guy. Like, he feels like the muscle 
and not necessarily the guy behind the guy. And I like Cole Hauser a lot. I've, I've enjoyed the things that I've seen him in, but he does have a baby face. He does have one of those faces where you're like, mm, you know, unless you show me rat torture, I'm really not going to believe that you're a tough guy. I feel like I could probably slap you in the face and you might start crying. But you're right. Moments like that torture scene, they feel on par with the type of character that he is trying to be. I think his look and the way he talks, even the way he delivers some of his lines, Aaron, feel a little bit like, yeah, ah, ah. Like, it almost mm-hmm. doesn't feel like it's a natural yeah. kind of dialogue or a, a natural kind of way in which he's trying to say things. And that threw me off. I almost started laughing a little bit. I was like, is he really, is he trying to be a villain or is he, I don't know what the deal is. But yeah, he, he worked fine, but he was definitely the weaker part of this, uh, of this movie. Well, the movie features different cars than we saw in the first film, which was interesting. And it does have some more grounded, minus one specific moment, (laughs) street racing. Did anything stand out to you in the entry about the action sequences or the cars? I think that what I liked most about this is that we got away from the 10-second car, that we got into actual street racing, like going through the streets. That opening race was not a what's going to happen in 15 seconds but it was really about accenting maneuverability and the ability to actually be a driver because what that did was pave the way for again what we see in later entries but later in the film we get that fantastic aerial shot that you see in the trailers of all those cars just dispersing out of that warehouse and you get to appreciate what it means to be a good driver not just a good racer but a good driver And you also get the great visual of all these great looking cars, man. I mean, Suki is actually designing her next look of her car during the scene where they're doing the the water racing and whatnot. And I think that being able to see a large amount of cars showed us that the street racing world is just that. It's a world. It's not just confined to a group of people like that there is a camaraderie that exists among the street racing culture where this guy knows that guy and that guy knows those three people and you get the word out and they're like yeah we'll all do this and you bring in all those cars to that warehouse and all of a sudden boom that scene happens and you're like oh dude this is fantastic it's like cat and mouse and then it's a race to the city which we see that play out a lot more efficiently and a lot more spectacularly in later films. But I think this is a great sandbox to be able to say, hey, can we get away from just a drag race? Can we still keep street racing, the culture around it and the cool factor, but expand it into a more relay type thing or a more just expanded kind of race as opposed to just a drag race? So I thought that was Well, I liked it, and I liked it a lot, and I liked it right away, because we get Brian's Nissan Skyline, which, for some reason, feels like his iconic car to me, even though it's in this movie, of all the movies. It actually realized it was an import, because he's driving on the, what I call, wrong side of the car. I noticed that in this film, and I didn't realize that. I'm wondering, I know you have a replica of that car. I wonder if your replica has the steering wheel on the American <laughs> side or the... I'll take a look at that. I'll 
Yeah, so you'll have to let me know. I'm curious. I thought that it was cool how subdued his car is in a design manner versus the rest of the street racing culture cars um, because his is just blue and silver. I thought it was a fun touch that when they do get the two American muscle cars, that the one that he ends up with is also blue and silver. It's a little different design, but it's sort of like matching that and keeping that consistent for him and his personality. I love the personality of all the cars, though. Those racers at the beginning, I think one's name is Orange Julius, one is Slapjack, and then you have Suki, and she's got this like anime style to the the car that she designed, and her computer is like an anime character. All that stuff is just really fun to see. I liked that they continued with the street racing car versus American muscle type concept that we see start in the first movie and will continue to play out in various entries. I really loved the racing sequences. Again, I'm with you. I don't think anything like stood out as super memorable, but the parts added up to a great whole for me. I didn't have any that were duds. I really enjoyed them all. I liked the opening race sequence. I liked the drag racing up and down tag team against the muscle cars and how that played out. I really, really love towards the end when they're running away with the money. That whole sequence with the two thugs in each of their car was a lot of fun. The banter, Brian having to get the electronic device off of his car while that guy's driving, and then him like basically showing some respect for Brian after the fact, being like, bro, you can drive. <laughs> and I, I really liked that. But the specifically the aerial shots during that race where we get to see the cars weaving in and out of a crowded highway in the daytime, that was different and really fresh for me. And I liked that. Him and Tej and cop cars chasing them, just tons and tons of cop cars. And then, of course, them coming out of that scramble was awesome. With You get started off with all of those trucks pushing out and like pushing the police cars away, and then all the cars just like dozens and dozens of cars emerge. And that was Super cool as well. And of course, I mean, the memorable scene, like the one that everybody can remember, the yacht jump. It was a little anticlimactic for me. I'm not going to lie, because it's sort of the movie sort of ends like right afterward. Like he just lands on the yacht. Nothing. They do. That's it. They just they land. That's it. Like, that's the cool factor is, OK, they jumped. I love Roman's line. He's like, you're on some real Dukes of Hazards right here. And then, boom, they go. But then once they hit. Like Roman's got a broken arm and Brian's like hardly unable to do anything other than hold a gun up and shoot Verone in the shoulder. And then it's like, it's over, you know? And I just keep imagining, I'm like, geez, if this concept was going to happen in fast nine, <laughs> like them jumping a car onto a boat, the amount of extravagance around just those words <laughs> versus what we see stream, you know, cut down in this movie, to totally different things that we would see. Uh, but it's still a lot of fun. Oh, and the other piece of tech that I really liked, one of my favorite moments in the whole movie and my favorite lines is with the little car buzzers that they have and Rowan going, ejecto cedo cuz it worked. I love this part. Blow and go, baby. I'm all clear. And I just I love that piece of dialogue and the way that he was so ecstatic about popping the, the button and like the guy shooting out the side of the car. So I liked it. I liked the action in this one and the racing all quite a bit, even though it's not super high budget, which is kind of weird. 
it just it feels like a sandbox of things to come. And I think for a self-contained entry, even the yacht jump, which feels anticlimactic by today's standards, I think was short-lived. I think there could have been a little bit more tension there, but it was still cool looking. And I think at the time when this thing came out, it was like, I've never seen a car jump onto a yacht. Why not? And those two words right there, why not? I think it would fuel the later stunts in the franchise that allow us to go, oh, I'm so glad we got to do that. And I don't know that that would be, it would probably be possible, but I think when you have an entry like this that does well enough to merit more entries, I think people go, okay, well, let's bring that up to another level and up to another level. And then sooner or later, we're talking about Fast and Furious in space, which is not out of the realm of possibility. Well, I'm glad you kind of teased this sort of segue there into the future, because the last thing I wanted to bring up is just an idea I have, and I wanted to know what you think about it. There is a much publicized sort of feud and basically a mental breakdown by Tyrese. I love using the gif of it everywhere because it's so much fun. But he kind of flipped out and felt like he was getting pushed out of the series and didn't feel like it was fair and that he felt like he was a bigger part of the series than maybe he was getting credit for. I actually agree, especially after this film. I feel like he is a part of this. And while he does get turned into a full-on supporting character in the future, I don't want to let this movie and this performance go because I think it's excellent. And a lot of that is because of the consistency that he ends up bringing throughout. But I think he's great. I think he's an amazing addition to the series and the franchise. And so it got me thinking, at the end of this movie, he is talking smack to Verone while Verone's in cuffs, which is dumb, first of all. Like, I mean, it's like the classic hero mistake, right? Verone's not dead. And he's talking junk to him. And Verone said, and Brian says, you know, when he gets out, he's going to kill you. So here's the thing. We got a couple movies left. We know that this, what I'm about to say, is not necessarily part of the plot that we've seen revealed through trailers for Fast 9. But what about this idea? Verone comes back because he says he's going to. And we've never heard from him again in the series. Brian tells us, like, they always get out of jail. We've seen this happen before with villains, with Braga, with Statham. And now we're going to get Cypher returning, Charlize Theron's villain. So why not Braga? Think about the emotional wallop. You could keep Tyrese in the series. What if in Fast 9, Patrick, Verone does come back and does kill Roman? And that provides another layer of push for emotional context for the team to go forward. I think it could be really fantastic, and I think it would be... I mean, I don't want him to die, don't get me wrong, but I think that that would be on par with what this franchise has given us. It would fit really well and be a cool way to, once again, tie in the series past. I think what you can get to, Aaron, is I don't disagree with that. I would like to see a mutual team-up, I guess, on the villain side with all of the existing living characters that are on the bad guy side. What I would love to see is that type of story play out, but as part of something bigger. 
So Cypher recruits Verone and then recruits Braga. And you have all these different characters that have been a part of the Furious franchise that are still around, but maybe in prison or somewhere almost as if it's like the Joker breaks everybody out of Arkham Asylum to take on Batman and his his team. I think that that could be something. I don't know where the drama would be. I don't I don't know the writing on that, but I think it would be kind of interesting to see you have these incomplete storylines, these what ifs that are left with these villains come together as part of something bigger. And that one of the subplots is that Verone in a shootout or in some kind of moment right before act two or three kills or finds Roman and does something crazy to him. So it gives substance to Roman's character. It completes that storyline, or at least it pushes it further. Maybe Roman doesn't die. Maybe he gets revenge on Verone and he comes back and he says, I told you, I got you, or whatever, after he dies or something. I wouldn't mind saying that. I don't think it would be out of the question. I would just like to see it as part of a greater story, not as it needs to be the thing. Like, Verone doesn't need to come back as a central character at all. No, that's not... Yeah, yeah, no, I that will never happen. I completely agree. There's no way to do that in a way that makes any sort of sense. Right. With the, the level of threat that they are dealing with for this low-end... Miami drug lord guy who's been in prison <laughs> for a decade to suddenly get out and have the sort of cred and ability to again threaten them that somebody like Cypher does on a global scale, you know. So I I totally agree. I think it would have to be a sort of a team up slash side plot. I think I think a side plot would work also as they're going here and doing this thing, trying to deal with this bigger threat, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes Verone and messes everything up for them, and it's like. You just can't get away from your past, you know, even when you're just about to catch the villain and, and fix things. Here's yeah. this guy coming back yet again, your mistakes or whatever your choices have been. And here he is ruining your day. So I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be cool. Um, but we'll see, I guess, eventually <laughs> what happens. 2021. Well, this is where we would normally go into our connecting point, And we're not going to go into our connecting points because we really don't have connecting points. It's not that kind of movie. And that's fine. Mine would have maybe, I guess, been Brian and Roman talking and having that moment. But that lasts about 60 to 90 seconds. And it just didn't feel right enough to be a connecting point for me. It's a good movie. It's a fun movie. We don't always have to have them. And with that said, that wraps up Too Fast, Too Furious, my friend. Yep, that'll complete this entry of the Furious franchise from us. We're pausing this week to cover a new Netflix original, The Five Bloods, directed by Spike Lee. We'll be joined by Emmanuel Noisette of E-Man's Movie Reviews to dialogue about this pretty anticipated film. So look for that to drop later this week. Aaron, thanks for another great conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. 
be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filled.